You're listening to another episode of the Anavivo podcast. Thank you for your time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Anavivo podcast. I'm your host, Tim C. Miller of Beautiful Woodby Island and the Anavivo.com website and everything involved. And uh, joined today by none other than my co-host, Sizzly Steve. What's up? And we are fresh off the heels of a most extraordinary vacation. Uh, fresh... In time, not necessarily fresh in spirits. Uh, And we're here to describe why that is for you today. So this is going to be a two-part episode. Uh, This part where Steve and I set up the skeleton of the vacation and uh, kind of where we went and then kind of what happened at the end and why we're not so refreshed from our vacation. And then I will be joined uh, later this week by my other siblings that also came on this adventure with us, and uh, they will be filling, helping me fill in the details of what we did um, during the time. And so that way it will serve uh, two purposes. One, for us, a historical uh, look back on what we loved, what we didn't like, and um, can use for future plans, uh, and also for our, our children and others listening. But uh, And then two, to share with you some of the things we loved and did not like as well. For those of you interested in traveling or snorkeling or um, cruises or speedboats or jungles, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So um, let's kick it off with kind of a 60,000 foot view here of what we did in general. And, uh, and that in general was a cruise. Steve, take us away. Yes, so um, you invited us all on a Virgin Voyages cruise, which is known for their no-kid policy. Woo! No kids. I mean, I love you kids. (laughs) (laughs) When you're listening to this 20 years later. (laughs) So that was fun, Um, and we started our journey in Puerto Rico flying down through Colorado with a short layover. And then uh, on to Puerto Rico, San Juan, Puerto Rico, where we caught the boat. Yeah, so we went out of an um, Oconus port this time. Most of our cruises have been continental United States. Uh, But this one we particularly chose for the itinerary, which was the Eastern Caribbean or Caribbean, depending on where you're from. And uh, it had five different ports, five different islands that we got to visit. And so... Because of that, it left and returned out of San Juan, Puerto Rico. And uh, so we got to fly into Puerto Rico, the 51st state, essentially, um, is what I'm calling it because of how, obviously, American it is, territory, like Guam, um, but more so. And, um, and we got to see – so we flew in the day before – and we left a day after the cruise to make sure that we had the time because it really was an all-day flying in uh, with a layover in 
um, Colorado, and then on the way back, a layover, multiple layovers, as we will hear. But so we planned it to be refreshed and stayed in a hotel the night before and the night after. Uh, what were your impressions of Puerto Rico? Uh, the downtown area we stayed in on the beginning journey was nice. Um, it kind of reminded me of a touristy area of Mexico, South America, somewhere. Um, the return home in Puerto Rico, we stayed in a different resort area, but aside from the resort, it was much more remote mm, yeah. and uh, less developed. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, it was cool. There was a lot of open eateries everywhere. Uh, we had our first meal in Puerto Rico in one of these outdoor indoor cafes where just no walls and um, tables and delicious. Uh, cooked food and um, lots of music and dancing. Uh, and it was a Friday night, so it was happening uh, downtown. So uh, and then we then we visited old San Juan, which was the historic part. That was really cool for me as someone who enjoys history um, to see a lot of the old Spanish remnants of the Spanish um, colonization and the forts that they had there uh, that are now, um, national parks essentially and uh, historic monuments and so that was really cool to walk through a lot of those and um, see see the time of this is the 1700s where pirating was happening and the slave trade was active uh, and uh, from Britain and, and France's uh, involvement um, exploring and the Spanish um Spices and tra- uh, spices and, and sugarcane and um, different trades that were happening. And so it's just this, you know, obviously throughout the rest of our experience in the Caribbean there, we, we got to experience a lot of the um, fight, economical fight for these resources, people included, uh, slave populations included, but also the, um, uh, the spices and uh, the rum and the, the sugarcane and... Um, gold and silver and so a lot of this was just this big land grab uh, european land grab and race for supremacy uh and of course the the biggest or most robust navy wins but in this case there was just uh this one period where um particularly in old san juan um the spanish held on for 400 years which was uncommon most of the forts and places were fought back and forth or traded back and forth, dominated back and forth um, across many of these island chains. But uh, in this case, they had their foothold there uh, un, um, unbroken for 400 years, which was really neat uh, from looking back on it now. So you can really see a lot of that influence throughout the streets and through the uh, the people and um, even the drinks that they make or the food that they eat or different things like that. So it was a cool... Uh, experience. It was very hot when we arrived the first day. The second day, the, the last time we were there, I don't remember it being that hot, but maybe we were in the ocean more. We right? were just used to it. We were point. used to it at that yeah. point, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was very toasty. And this is January, um, mind you, that we are there. And uh, and then through um, February. And so, or I'm sorry, the beginning of February, yeah. Beginning of February. So, um, and very toasty, 80s. 80s and humid. So, 
Yeah. Then we got on the boat, and the next day we visited Tortola, British Virgin Islands, um, and did a little tour and stuff around there. And that was uh, cool. A lot of these places we visited were just really developed around, I say really developed, mostly developed around the ports, and then everything else is kind of just... Um, um, uh, almost a third world country, almost. Yeah. Know, for some of these areas. Yeah. We, um, why don't you give us a rundown of like all each day and then we'll go back. Cool. So, uh, we visited Tortola and we did a, um, bus tour and snorkel. And then, uh, the next day we visited Point de Pitre, Guadalupe, and went out on a sailboat with a nice Frenchman and did some, uh, snorkeling. A nice Frenchman. <laughs> and then um, the next day we went to Bridgetown, Barbados, walked around the town, and then did a uh, beach tour. Um, and then followed that up uh, with St. Lucia, where we went on a speedboat tour to um, mud baths and snorkeling. And Those are the pitons out there? Yep. Uh, yeah. Saw the pitons from the boat. Luckily didn't have to hike them. <laughs> and then the second to last day or third to last day we visited uh, St. John's in Antigua yeah apparently there's multiple St. John's we found out um, I mean I knew there was a, a St. John's British uh, I'm sorry uh, St. John's American Virgin Island which is what we all thought we were going to <laughs> this last time and then we realized oh yeah this is Antigua which is a, a different um uh, this is the British version, uh, and not British for, not to be confused with um, Tortola British Virgin Islands, but just a separate British-owned region. Actually, now they're independent, but besides the point, British-influenced uh, island, not related to Saint John's American Virgin Islands. So yeah, so that day we did a catamaran and snorkel, and then uh, the next day we just spent all day at sea. And we finally docked the final day back in Puerto Rico. Yeah. And then stayed in that resort kind of further away from all the happenings. Yeah. Closest to El Yunque. Is that how you say that? I have no idea. Okay. Um, the largest national, the largest rainforest national park uh, in the U.S. apparently. So oh. that's cool. Yeah. Tropical rainforest. Yeah, tropical rainforest. Right. So, yeah, so that's kind of the big overview. Like you hinted at Stephen, a lot of these were built up right around where we pulled in of course all of the wealth point in to the ports uh port cities there or even the resorts uh anything with a resort around it along the coast but you get to the interior of these islands and and they are um incredibly destitute broken poor uh some of it was um was i mean it was all good to see but some of it was hard to see in some cases, because of the level of um, poverty that was there. And so it, I, for me, that was a big takeaway on my trip was learning how the you look at you, you look at these places. We're so used to seeing these on our Instagram reels or Facebook posts or uh, TripAdvisor, Google, things like that, that have, um, of course, the best photos taken for this place. Hey, you want to go visit St. Lucia? great. Look at this pristine beach with this palm tree and this resort over the water. And it's just immaculate. And there's nice white people drip sipping 
margaritas from the beach there in the in the photo or something. Yeah. And then you get there and you realize we're the only white people in the entire in that entire town. We saw in that and particularly in Saint Lucia, we had um, I think when we when the catamaran took us back speedboat. Oh, that was a speedboat. When the speedboat took us back um, to the port is when we saw white people again. Did we? And, and then and at the mud bath, we saw white people because there was it was touristy. Yeah. So all but the in between any of that, there yeah. was not a single white person. Yeah. And and it was also characterized by obvious amounts of poverty as well. So. It was cool in in the sense of the um, the tourist part. the uh, The guides were so knowledgeable, and and they gave us um, wonderful advice on where to stay and what to do, and um, invited us back. And actually, after that particular tour, we ended up staying with the guide and going to one of her local restaurants and having um, some more delicious food <laughs> in, in town. And and no, at, at no point did we feel unsafe. Um, but it was, it was cool to have the local experience there as well. But then in the flip side of that, she had just finished telling our, the tour itself, Hey, this is where Matt Damon spent something billion dollars to basically rent out the whole beach and kick everyone out off the beach for his re-engagement or, um, or engagement or something like that between the pitons. And, and the locals were fine with that because they got all this money, but he, you know, you could just come in and kind of spend that amount of money and, basically buy everything out between the whole state park and and remove the population so that nobody would be seen during his engagement. So there's obvious um, disparity, income disparity here and uh, and wealth disparity uh, going on in, in all of these islands. And so, um, yeah, it was a good point you brought up. But I think uh, it was also interesting to see kind of where these islands came from. So in... The, if they were British occupied or British owned still, a lot of them have recently claimed independence in the 70s, 60s, 80s, um, and they function more as uh, a uh, autonomous region of Britain, Great Britain. But, uh, but any of these with a Great Britain influence seemed to be, from my perspective, more destitute and poor than the French occupied once and i don't know if that's for any particular reason uh, but guadalupe wasn't that bad guadalupe where xavier took us out on a sailboat it was uh it seemed to be nicer it's still a lot of poverty I- interior island um but they had a lot of roundabouts there <laughs> so I don't know. yeah can we draw conclusions from roundabouts <laughs> yeah no stoplights no, no stoplights um but guadalupe uh Point uh, Pitre, I don't know how you say that, is um, was French occupied, French owned, and um, and seems to be a lot nicer. As a matter of fact, Xavier lives in France most of the year, and then for the winters comes out to Guadalupe there to sail and take tourists like us out on his sailboat. So, um, yeah. They were saying a lot of these areas, they get cruise ships about six months out of the year. And then the other six months, no cruise ships. So they're just struggling. Or they leave. <clears throat> yeah, they leave and go back to their parent country, like um, the parent country of the island. So like Great Britain, Great Britain or France or um, 
to, to work or they do something else like construction. We had a cab driver take us out after, after one of the tours, we went out again with the locals to a different beach and, um, he was sharing it with us that that's what he does when the cruise ships are, are done and all of us tourists are gone and their, their source of income is gone for the year. He works construction the rest of the time of the year. So, uh, but his brother and sister are working in Great Britain. So, or in the UK. So, um, they are doing that most of the time. So yeah, it was an interesting, and, and then everybody in between of just, you know, from begging on the street to, um, whatever other, other things they can do that are not tourist related since we're not there. Um, was there any Island to you that stood out that was more built up or like you would go back to from a vacation standpoint, not necessarily like a mission standpoint, but, uh, take a future, your future wife, uh, Shameless plug, Stephen is still single, ready to mingle, and uh, ready to take somebody on a new vacation. But if you were to go back to any one of these particular five, would you, um, any that stand out? Uh, which which one was the catamaran tour? Uh, with the fake sandals resort? Yeah. Uh, no. Yeah, where they took us to that sandals that was not over the water, the last, the taxi ride. And then we came back and we took the cab ride out to the beach with the mosquitoes. Yeah. Did they take us to the Sandals? Yeah, that last stop was the Sandals Resort, but it was like a rundown Sandals that was not over the water. It was just, and they said, hey, last stop for anyone staying at the Sandals, and there was like four people that got off. Oh. Remember hmm. that one? Yeah. We were going to get off there, and I said, let's just get off here. And you guys oh. were like, no, let's. Yeah, we're going to yeah. go back to the boat. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, was, uh, that was Antigua, St. John's. Yeah, so that place seemed to have a lot more resorts all over the place and so i feel like they obviously get a lot more people visiting yeah um maybe or, because they miss they confuse it like we did for st john's yeah american version <laughs> <Islands>. <laughs> yeah whereas like um the other islands you know they had one town or they had whatever yeah and so it just doesn't seem like there's a lot there yeah um yeah yeah, St. Lucia was nice in that everywhere along the coast there were resorts, and those resorts were nice. And they filmed Pirates of the Caribbean, a portion of it there. And um, and so there was a lot of these kind of little touristy things there. And it's got these two points, these massive volcanic uh, points called the Pitons, which are pretty uh, beautiful and amazing to see. And so I think a lot of the photography and marketing draws people there. But even even then, um, like you're saying, I think the the one with the catamaran, St. John's Antigua, was still nicer in that they had different resorts, different people. Um, the folks we met on the catamaran that were staying at those resorts seemed to like it a lot more uh, flying in and out. Um yeah, so. St. Lucia was beautiful from the boat, but once you got off the boat, it was just desolate. Yeah, not desolate in a romantic way of, like, pristine jungles. No, yeah, desolate in a poverty way, which yeah. is sad. So, um, yeah, I think St. John's would be, would be nice. It kind of blurs together, um, which is why we're doing this podcast. So, yeah. So fresh in our minds. <laughs> so we chose um, voy- 
Virgin Voyages. We chose it particularly because it's Snow Kids, um, and we wanted to do an All Brothers uh, that ended up being an All Brothers and Sister-in-Law cruise uh, with no kids. And so that was intentional, but then we also wanted to choose an itinerary like this where we could do a lot of snorkeling. And Ben, in particular, has a lot of neat gear, um, like a a hookah snorkel that's got a a 10-foot hose or something like that that on a pump and uh, rockets underwater that he can glide with and things like that. So we wanted to, to be able to haul that around and, and go different places. Um, but what did you think of the cruise line itself compared to the other cruise ships you saw in port with us and or the cruise you've been on before, which was a princess cruise? Well, we didn't have a water park on top of our boat. Mm. But we also didn't have a bunch of kids. And I, I know that if we had a water park on top of our boat, it would just be lines of people waiting in line <laughs> for turn up the slide and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, I don't think they have any cruise ships that are adult only that also have adult water parks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I did like that the gallery where you could just eat any time of the day was just immaculate food. The galley? Yeah. Yeah. What did I say? Gallery. <laughs> yes, the shooting gallery. It looked like a gallery because of how beautiful the food was set out. and Yeah, <laughs> just lots of probably like 10 different restaurants in that little cafeteria yeah. area of really good uh, food that you would not normally see in a cafeteria-style setting. Um, and throughout the boat, there are just tons of little hideaway or coves mm. that you can pull yourself into and sit down with your friends and pretty much not get bothered. Yeah. Even though the cruise is packed full of people. Yeah, that's a good point. They uh, designed the Virgin Voyages cruise line. Uh, Richard Branson, I guess the the theme and the story is he hated cruising. He never went on a cruise because he hated the idea of it. Then he was like, well, I'm rich enough. Why don't I just make one that I would like? And so he designed this, this particular um, cruise line to feel more like a downtown city or, um, yeah, some back alley places. And so we're on there with, you know, 2,500 other people, but you don't feel like you are because there's no large seating venue. The largest space on the ship, public space on the ship, is um, is the Red Room, which is a, a forward on the bow kind of uh, auditorium for, for larger performances. And even that didn't feel very big or crowded, and they had to have multiple shows of the same same event so that they could get more people, uh, in there. But otherwise you are, you're, you're walking down, uh, the decks and the, the P ways to find these random bars or random places that, uh, have restaurants or clubs or whatever. And you're there with 30 other people, you know, 40 other people or something. And so, um, yeah, it kind of kept everything to a minimum feeling, which was nice. Um, this was our second cruise, uh, Grace Grace and my second, uh, or my second cruise on a Virgin Voyage. Grace and I went on the Virgin Voyage Scarlet Lady, which was their maiden voyage out of Miami and uh, a couple years ago when they first opened, and enjoyed it so much that we decided to go back again on this one, which was the Valiant Lady, and um, their third cruise ship. We've got one more in process, we were supposed to be on the Brilliant Lady that did not get finished in time, and so we were moved to this cruise ship. But uh, yeah, it's nice in that everything is 
designed like that. But also to your point about the galley, everything is included. There's no cost uh, for these restaurants, the the formal restaurants where you sit down and want to eat, you know, steak dinner or pasta or the test kitchen to experiment or things like that, or the galley where you can go around to a bunch of different um, restaurants or things like that as well. So it, it's kind of nice in that you're not in a traditional cruise style where you're either assigned to a table every night or uh, one particular large restaurant where you can choose from a menu or the same group of people or the same time to eat. It's very flexible, uh, which is nice when you're deciding fly of the minute, like, oh, I don't feel good because I had too much to drink, or I don't feel good because I was out in the sun too long, or I want to do this activity instead. And um, and so it makes it a lot more enjoyable, I think, from that perspective. So. Yeah. There were some <laughs> items on the menus you had to pay for, like Wagyu beef. Oh, yeah, some higher-end Wagyu, Wagyu beef options. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so um, that's kind of the overview. Let's talk about our our travel home now, and then uh, we'll come back on the next episode and flesh out these ports for our listeners uh, with the family, the rest of the family there, and the cruise ship. I know uh, some of my listeners have already said they're going on uh, Virgin Voyages cruise to the Mediterranean this coming this year, uh, and so they're uh, eager to hear our feedback on just Virgin Voyages in general. But um, but also for those of you who have cruised before or have not, uh, hopefully this will be some some things you can take away um, and and then just from the Caribbean and uh, places to go. Hopefully it'll be helpful from that perspective. So so we flew back again we we pulled into puerto rico went to this other resort to stay the night and then flew out early that morning to get home and this was sunday and we left in our cab at 6 a.m to catch an eight o'clock ish flight home walk us through the experience there steve from our journey that was supposed to end earlier that evening sunday night and be home in time for the kids yeah, so we caught an interesting cab ride to the airport in Puerto Rico. <laughs> Elaborate on interesting. <laughs> um, he claimed to be a salty sailor who was in the army and some other things. <laughs> um, he left his family up in America after he got out, but um, by the end of his story, he had contradicted himself so much, I think we all determined he was a draft dodger. <laughs> so yes that's a fair point who ran away to puerto rico um and then we got into the tiny puerto rican airport and um checked our stuff through usda to make sure we didn't have any seashells and foreign foods no seashells and uh then we checked our luggage and got on the plane um took off at eight fifty a.m and flew to Chicago, where we had a four-hour layover. Yay. Uh, so once we were in Chicago, I think it what, was it a four-hour flight with a four-hour layover. Yeah. It was not, it was, yeah, it was like five hours from San Juan to Chicago, four-hour layover, and then supposed to be a just under four-hour trip back to Seattle. Yeah, and we had lost two hours by flying from Puerto Rico to Chicago. Mm-hmm. And then going we, back in time, going back in time. Um, 
So already it felt like a long day, just between the flight and the four-hour layover. And then we get on the flight from Chicago to Seattle, and we're supposed to land in uh, Seattle at 6 p.m., which is another two hours behind from Chicago. So it would have been, you know, four-hour plus at that point, which, yes, is nice that it's 6 p.m. local time Sunday, but we're already feeling, you know... Exhausted. Exhausted, Our bedtime, yeah. 10 o'clock our time. And then... um, Somewhere over South Dakota, we have a emergency on board where dun, 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 dun. I see some commotion in the back of the plane, and they're like, is there any medical professionals on board? If there is, can you push your flight attendant button? And I'm thinking someone in the very back of the plane, or they took them to the back of the plane. Mm-hmm. And, and what I hear all the time on videos or from Jessica, our nurse cousin, um is it's diabetes is like that thing the number one thing that yeah. people experience on the plane yeah yeah your your high altitude low blood sugar you're burning up no and good, no good airflow you're just yeah diabetic situation yeah overload and so two nurses we have two nurses on board luckily and they are now coming to the middle of the plane a few rows behind us right in the middle yeah and they um are working on this giant gentleman Giant gentleman. Who is um, probably like 280, 300 pounds. Oh, at least, yeah. He was a large, um, obese is okay to say. And uh, call into the show if you would prefer we not use hurtful terms like obese. But he was definitely obese, definitely an unhealthy weight. There are people that are healthy in that size, but this was an unhealthy weight. Yes, and so everyone's speculating diabetes, and so the flight crew and the nurses, they're just running back and forth bringing orange juice and Coke and lollipops and anything else they can get to sugar this guy up. Um, and finally, he comes to again. He's he's basically in and out um, and says, I'm not diabetic. And, <laughs> and then passes out again. And so now they're like, well, we don't know what to do. We don't know what's going wrong with this guy. Um did he have too much to drink? Did he do some sort of drug? Is you know what's going on? And this is uh, over the course of about forty minutes that this is happening. So it's not a short like oh we're diagnosing this in ten minutes. He's he's passed out. They can't move him out of the chair. So it's a process just to get him out of the row. Then they get him into the aisle and they can lay him down. And then he comes. He's in and out. Then he comes out finally and says I'm not diabetic. And now they're they don't yeah like you said they don't know what to do. So you know meanwhile we're still transiting. And and everyone's like, okay, is he is he all right? Are we going to make it to Seattle in time? Yeah, and I see the forward flight attendant on the phone, and I'm assuming calling ground control, letting appraising them in the situation. Um, and they finally hook this guy up to an IV bag, and um, yeah, like you said, 40 minutes, 50 minutes later, I look on my Google for uh, <laughs> the status of our flight that we're currently on, and it says rerouted. Dun, dun, dun. And so, and then the captain gets on over the intercom and says, unfortunately, there's been a medical emergency. We're going to turn around and land in Sioux Falls, Sioux South Falls, Dakota. South Dakota. Anybody ever been there? If you've been there, send an email to tim.c.miller.outlook.com so we can interview you on your experience of Sioux Falls, South yes. Dakota. <laughs> two, what is it, two or three gates and one restaurant? One restaurant and bar, 400 people from this flight descend on 
to two bartenders <laughs> that are now at what it was at 10 o'clock at night and they yeah. just want to go home. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure it was like, I mean, it was obviously a huge moneymaker for them because the guy by the end of the night, Dave, shout out to Dave, uh, had made hundreds and hundreds of dollars, uh, probably a thousand plus dollars just in tips. Yeah. But in the bar, but still, this is a lot of people to serve. Um, <laughs> that are now rerouted to Sioux Falls, South Dakota. So we land in Sioux Falls, and... It doesn't stop there. Everyone's saying, oh, they're just going to get the guy off, and we're going to be right back in the air. Yeah. And I am just already anticipating. I'm like, first of all, it's 102 degrees in that plane. The air is not working. I want to get off the plane. (laughs) We're about to have our own medical emergencies. Yeah. (laughs) And um, I'm anticipating them not sending us home that night, and we're all staying the night in Sioux Falls. Somewhere. So, worst case scenario, the captain then gets back on the intercom, and at this time, we should have been landing in Seattle. This is like the time at which we would have been touching down in Seattle. Yeah. He says, the flight crew uh, has just timed out. (laughs) They have been working too long, and they will not be flying you the rest of the way, unfortunately. It's the Cinderella hour. (laughs) But in two hours, another flight is coming into Sioux Falls and heading to... Uh, Seattle, and so we are going to find out if their flight crew can switch out with us and and take you all the rest of the way. So we get off, uh, deplane the plane, and um, they let us know conveniently that there is one restaurant and it is still open. Yeah. And so we walk uh, in a gift shop. In a gift shop. Yep. And so we walk down, and lo and behold, the one restaurant that's still open is a Cinnabon. <laughs> Cinnabon and, and then and bar. <laughs> yes, connected connected to it is a little pizza burger and bar. <laughs> luckily, and so uh, they issue us a fifteen dollar credit. We all line up for a three and a half hour line to get access to the bar and food, and we're all using our credits, which they have to type in one number at a time. <laughs> Thank you, United. <laughs> Thank you, United, and. Uh, the bartender, like Tim was saying, was about to get off five minutes before our entire plane showed up and got stranded there for two hours. Um, and then he worked there for, you know, however many 200 people served them drinks yeah, and four, food. Closer to 400, yeah. 400 people. And these people are all just tipping $10, $15 each. So this guy definitely made out yeah, like a bandit. Work, worked out well for him, although it's still a ton of work, but... Yeah, so this this other flight is coming, but not for another two hours, and they're they're deadheading in Sioux Falls, which is great. But that crew then is going to get off that plane theoretically and join our plane and fly us to Seattle back. We we look we we find out in hindsight that they actually ended up bringing a new crew on board, a uh, fresh crew from Chicago. So the the crew that was deadheading in Sioux Falls just stayed there as planned, and the new fresh crew. They were able to schwack together last minute and uh, put on a plane, put on that plane to land in Sioux Falls and then and then commandeer our plane to fly us all to SeaTac. Um, but none of us know that at the time. We're all like, okay, should we get the hotel? You know, there's no communication. Big, uh, big uh, disappointment on United's part that went into my review that they sent conveniently afterwards. Uh, was that there's just a, a total lack of communication. And I absolutely understand that things are changing and totally fluid and they can, you know, they have no way of knowing are we going to do this or not. But 
Um, but when they did, we would walk up to the counter and find out at the gate um, agent, and she would tell us. And so it was a lot of like, okay, well, you obviously know this information. Can you send it out in the text, in the app, in the stuff that you're sending us? Um, you know, and so uh, is there is there reimbursements in miles or discounts on the flights? I mean, thankfully, in our case, we've got a car parked at the garage there. Um, but there's a lot of people that are missing connecting flights or missing, um, shuttle home, shuttle home, or, um, you know, having to get hotels and things like that now because of the delay that by the time we ended up back, it was a, it turned out to be almost an eight hour, um, ordeal between everything. And so quite an inconvenient, I mean, even in our case, it cost us, uh, extra money because our, our car that we were supposed to pick up eight hours earlier was now still sitting in the charged lot getting charged at. So the little $15 meal voucher, which was great for the one beer with the one airport beer, uh, cost price was nice, but, um, covering any of these other incidental fees, giving us a voucher for a flight. I mean, come on, United. So, um, that yeah. was hard. Thankfully, this guy was all right. We land, and he actually stands up and walks off the plane. Yeah, that was <laughs> so great. That was that was hard. That was bittersweet, you know. As as um as Christ followers, we're like, okay, we're praying for this dude. We hope you're okay. Uh, we hope that everything works out. And especially in his case, you know, he's going to the hospital. They're taking him right to a hospital there in Sioux Falls, and they've got to find his luggage and there's a lot of logistic uh, problems that, you know, he's going to have to deal with, which sucks on that part and his family or anybody that, you know, he's associated with in, in this case. Um, but it was still hard to see him just get up and walk out and not have, uh, you know, not be like, I don't know, dead or just really injured or like, yeah. Like, well, he, he was too big to carry out. Yeah. Unfortunately, even for these two giant firemen that got on Yeah, on we had some board. amazing EMTs that came on board and, and assessed the situation and then uh, tried to help lift or, you know, they were going to carry him, but they just couldn't. So they were able to coax him to stand up and walk and one in front and behind him in case he toppled over. But, um, yeah, but it was just, it was hard. And then it was like, we couldn't have pushed on to Seattle, you know, this one extra hour, hour and a half, um, to get there. And so. But we all made it. No doors flew off. Um, looking at you, Alaska Airlines and um, or Boeing. Should we just all blame Boeing at this point? And uh, nobody else was hurt. And the our, our biggest loss in all of our cases was financial. So no no health issues. And uh, and then we get in at like three four in the morning finally. Yeah. So, so instead of landing at six and getting home at eight. We land at one and yeah. get home at three forty or something. Yeah. And when we land, there's this uh, first class passenger that has just been drinking. Oh yeah, drinking. <laughs> he was drinking as soon as we left Chicago. They did not cut him off <laughs> and didn't stop drinking while we were in Sioux Falls at the bar, and just kept drinking on the way home. And um, finally, when we get down to our baggage claim, he's at the point where his pants are off <laughs> yeah. and he's waving them over his head. He has had enough. <laughs> Thankfully, he's not angry and drunk. He's just obnoxious, incredibly yes. loud, uh, very flamboyant, and, yeah, whirling his pants off. And he's got some sort of um, 
uh, what's a Florida Lee? He's got some sort of blue and white Florida Lee patterned um, spanks and bra on underneath uh, his clothing. So he's taking his his hoodie off and his pants off, and he's at baggage claim, whirling these around, and just very loud and obnoxious. Yeah, and, yeah. And he was that way. I mean, he was in in Sioux Falls. He he was still fully dressed at that point, but he was loud, obnoxious in Sioux Falls, and then, and then. By the time we get to SeaTac, he's just totally gone. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that was fun. Yeah, it was um, a fun end to a vacation. Yeah. Thankfully, this was the end of our vacation. The hard part for this would have been if this had happened on the way there and we had missed the hotel. Thankfully, you know, that's why we travel a day before and a day after the cruise. So we're not uh, in total jeopardy of missing that, but definitely miss would have missed the hotel and some nightlife in, in Puerto Rico and and so thankfully this was on the the blessing of all this is the guy was okay. We were all safe. Uh, it was after the vacation in our particular case. And, um, and so that was, that was great. So we pray for the folks that were starting their vacation for a cruise out of Seattle to Alaska, maybe, or uh, for those on their way to somebody's wedding or, you know, something more serious uh, than just getting home in our, in our case. But um, uh, definitely, uh, difficult when it's a, just such a massive airline like United and they they just did not seem to care. And and I've had situations similar that were hard on Alaska or other um, smaller airlines. Even Delta is a huge airline and they seem to be better at communicating or caring or reimbursing. But uh, United was, that was hard United. I'm still a little, little bitter about it, still a little sore. <laughs> And uh, calling you out on the air here, but um, but maybe something will come from our reviews, and they will reimburse us or give us a fly voucher or something. Or I, I doubt it. I yeah, one can hope. So, can I give you my receipts, United? Can I send those in? Anyway, uh, so that was the the trip, and we are home and safe and sound, and. Um, if you have any other questions about that, we are going to uh, tune in next week, Monday, for uh, the release of part number two, where we talk more specifically about the tours or the islands themselves and the cruise line itself and um, some more of the experiential side of things. But that was the overview. So any uh, finishing comments here, Sizzly Steve? Um, make sure they talk good about me next week. Oh, yeah, you will not be joining us on the air. So yeah. uh, Steve is here to help set the skeleton of this trip for us, and then we'll be joined by Ben and Seth and uh, Seth's wife, Rebecca, for um, flushing this out. So, yeah, we will – anything you want to share from your perspective on the tours or the cruise or um, the restaurants or the parties or – you challenged me to try to beat the bar tab that we had for ourselves. <laughs> and I just want to say I did. And I just want to say he did not complete it. I have walked away from the cruise with $8 left on the bar tab. <laughs> so it's because I didn't want to run it out and then hit your bank. Ah, okay, okay. <laughs> yes, uh, Virgin has unlimited, it's a kind of an all inclusive. Uh, style of cruising and so but the way they 
the way they do it is by giving you bar tabs for different things like promos for when you book or in our case uh, as what they call sea blazer when we since we went on the um maiden voyage to give us another bar tab or things like that so it's not actual cash and you're not actually paying for it out front they just give you a certain amount uh that goes towards your drinks and everybody gets one so there's not there aren't, there aren't people on there that are physically paying for drinks but you will start paying for those drinks if you've run out of whatever your particular bar tab is if you don't have one uh big enough and so um in our cabin's case, it was Stephen and Ben and I, and uh, and so it was uh, quite a large bar tab, and so that was the goal for you was to see how many, see if we could run it out, and it helped that we pulled into five different ports because we had the last day at sea was a, um, well the last day on the cruise was a sea day, so we were all on the ship all day, and so. Um, I think there were more drinks on that day than on the other days, of course, where we're pulled into port and we're just off the ship most of the time. So I think that helped that we were gone so often. But yep. yeah, yeah, it was good. It was good to have you on board. And uh, and also a shout out to Steve. He led us spiritually from that perspective, uh, I think, the whole cruise. I don't think any of us prayed or... Um, got into the word without Steve's encouragement or leadership in doing so. So wherever that was driven from, uh, heart-wise, I want to say thanks for that, for taking the initiative and leading us out on that, to that effect. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Uh, well, for all of you listening, um, thanks again. And uh, any closing comments? No, that was okay. my closing comment. That was it. And as my kids would say, Thanks for my kids who were not on the cruise, by the way. Boom! Thank you for listening to another episode of the Anavivo podcast. We welcome your feedback and ideas. You can learn more about us by simply Googling the word Anavivo. This podcast is supported by listeners like you. I am a licensed real estate broker with Compass Real Estate and a nationwide real estate matchmaker. We consult with you for free, find and vet the right real estate professional that specializes in the area and niche you need, are paid by that professional, and they get clients like yourself who want and need their unique specialty or winning track record. If you or someone you know is in the market to buy or sell real estate anywhere in the U.S., don't simply web search the highest paying advertiser. Let us use our licensed experience to find and vet the real and best professional for you. It costs you nothing but a phone call or email with me and it saved my clients financially and emotionally. I'd be honored to serve and you can reach me direct by email at tim.c.miller at outlook.com. And as always, to God be the glory.